The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Pacific Association of Communication Directors today and also with Rudafin Asia because we are talking about the Asia Pacific Communications Index uh, which is an annual study um, of more than 120 senior in-house communications executives it takes place every year um, this study actually took place in the third quarter of 2022 some really interesting findings in terms of what in-house communications leaders are thinking in terms of their spending plans, their expectations, their budgets, um, and even their ideas in terms of where their careers might end up. Um, So we'll talk through some of the really interesting findings here, and I'm very happy to be joined today by Sylvia Cho Evans, who's Global Head of Communications at Vistra, and also Ruda Finn, Asia Executive Vice President Charles Lancaster. Sylvia and Charles, welcome to you both. Thank you, Arun. Great Hi, to be Arun. here. How are you? I'm very well, very thanks. Well. Good. It's, it's, uh, a, it's a lovely, it's a lovely day, day here in Hong Kong. And can I just say it's so nice to be able to do a podcast in person because I'm so used so to doing... No masks. No masks. <laughs> no masks. <laughs> well, we can only hope that will, uh, that will uh, maybe... Maybe become a, a, a bigger story uh, in a couple of weeks' times. Soon, we hope. Um, but, you know, Hong Kong is a unique place. We have to remind ourselves of this as well. So anyway, let's start, Let's talk through some of these comms index findings because I think they are fascinating. Obviously, we launched this um, with APAC-D, with Rudafin in 2021, uh, conducted the study again in 2022, and found some fascinating um, insights. So let's start here. More than seven in ten of the comms leaders we polled described the perceived value of the communications function as extremely valuable or very valuable, um, which is, I think, good news. We can all agree. But crucially, 79% do not expect this value to decline as their organizations emerge from the pandemic. And I think this is interesting because one of the things I, th- I suspect we all saw during the pandemic is the value of the in-house communications function and corporate communications more broadly, I think became very clear uh, during the pandemic because of you know all of the reasons I think that were tied up in this kind of global crisis. You had employees that needed to be reassured, you had customers that perhaps needed um, you know some, some fun in their lives, you, you had regulators uh, that needed to be kept engaged, um, there were healthcare concerns, so, so many big communications challenges. The question always was, will these benefits persist beyond the pandemic? Charles, you're a, a veteran crisis communicator, you will know that the, the crisis function is never more valuable than in a crisis, um, but, but does that persist? beyond the crisis. 79% of our respondents um, suggest it will. Um, So I'm curious to hear 
your thoughts on this, whether you agree with that finding and whether you're seeing it in your day-to-day -day work. Charles, perhaps I can start with you. Uh, we do see it continuing. Um, anecdotally, the, the people I talk to, certainly on the consultancy side and on the client side, uh, indicate that you know budgets are getting stronger, requirements are getting stronger. Uh, we had our largest ever revenue year in 2022. Uh, 2023 is also looking you know, very robust, even at this early stage. I think the, the COVID environment introduce a lot of quite novel opportunities, if that's the right word, certainly for us. A example, we work with a lot of hotel clients around the world, and they required complete reworking of their crisis communications as they sort of had to deal with COVID cases amongst guests and staff. So that's just one example. But all indicators are that communications was put in the spotlight uh, like never before. And I think anecdotally, certainly from the Ruder Finn point of view, is that we were on center stage and we delivered. And I think there is now more expected of us. And I'll be fascinated to hear from you know, the, the client side, but I, I believe the trends will continue for this year and well into the future. Sylvia, do you, do you see the same thing from your perspective in-house? I definitely do. I mean, as an in-house communicator, the pandemic really provided a interesting and great opportunity, I think, for the function. Mm. Um, just for myself personally, I remember at the height of the pandemic when offices were closing down in Hong Kong and, and we were all work, scrambling working from home, um, you know, have had a very good working relationship with our CEO, but we found ourselves having to find a place in North Point at a coffee shop with my laptop. What are we saying to our stakeholders? What are we telling our employees? What are we telling our clients? And it was just real time, like we were living live through a global crisis. Um, solidifying messages. And I think through that real hands-on crisis mode, trust is built. You have to, you know, trust is built, collaboration is built, and um, kind of all of a sudden, I mean, the in-house communication function was seen critical, at, you know, even before the pandemic, but I think the pandemic definitely elevated that. And I do see it continuing because, because that trust is built and that buy-in within the organization has been um, even further solidified during the pandemic. So I definitely see that um, continuing. It was a great opportunity for us in-house communicators to really step up. And in a time when there was so much uncertainty and everyone in your organization and in your networks around the world looking for information, looking for um, comfort, looking for facts, looking for some kind of guidance. And as communicators, whatever organization we're working for, we had to step up and try to provide that as much as possible with the limited information we also had, but try to provide um, some form of uh, comfort and um, uh, consistent messaging um, across the board. So it was a great opportunity and I do see that carrying through. I'm very curious, post-COVID, mm -hmm. do you think within your organization, management looks at the function of communications differently? I think so. I per yeah. in, a, in my personal experience, I do because um, uh, because of that time through those COVID years, we had to be at the forefront of uh, what do we tell mm. our clients, what do we tell our colleagues, what do we tell our partners and and stake other stakeholders, and that has carried through. Um, now, as we come out of the pandemic and we move towards kind of more BAU and different um, priorities and focus areas for the business. 
because you've developed that working relationship with the management team, um, definitely, I think, um, that carries through beyond that. I mean, personally for me, I've seen that. And it's exactly the same here. Uh, yeah. you know, complete, uh, I would say, a different frame. Uh, communications, I think, is now far more embedded. It was always there, but I think coming out of the pandemic, it's, we're in a very different, and a, as far as we're concerned, a much more positive place. I'm curious to know whether you both see it kind of moving upstream, I suppose. We, you know, we, we've heard this so often in this industry that communications needs a seat at the table. Do you see that in the kind reflected, I suppose, in the kind of work um, that's being done by in-house communications functions? Absolutely. I think the, again, coming out of pandemic, because we were involved at so many different layers and new layers, and I think the, uh, the, 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 the proximity to sort of senior management C-suite, when we've always been there, but it was such a turbulent period. And I think that Sylvia's point about messaging and actually speaking clearly and consistently with stakeholders uh, was a function that proved of tremendous value. What we have always seen is leadership pay attention to comms when there's a problem. Uh, now this is a bit of a truism, but it's proven time and time again that the one time you will get all the access you want to the chief executive is when the share price is collapsing or there is a significant problem. And I think what we're seeing coming out is a, a redefinition of communications generally. And looking at the consultancy side, you know, it's some very, very strong businesses now. And what's, I think, interesting also is the amount of acquisition movement that is taking place. There's a lot of companies being acquired early into this year. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, um, what you see uh, now is coming out of the pandemic, there's a lot of research about how employees feel about the companies they work for and really being part of um, whether it's a purpose-led organization or broader, um, it's more than just um, the paycheck I take home, but you know, what, what kind of organization am I working for? And I think as communicators, that's a real opportunity to help your corporate narrative and def to define kind of who you are as an organization. And I think that's a great opportunity for us in-house communicators to work with our executives. And if you have a management team and a CEO who really buys into and supports um, that type of work, then you're definitely right there with the CEO and the executive team to help drive that agenda. Um, and and um, see it at the table, I mean, for me personally, I have direct access to our CEO and executive leadership team, even though I may not quote unquote be a direct report. So for me, that's, you know, that's not important. It's mostly what access do I have? Um, you know, am I involved in the key issues of the business and the key priorities? And if that's if I do have that and have the ears of the right people, so that we can get the right messages out, then um, that's what's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the um, I think challenges for the comms function when it comes to that kind of upstream value has traditionally been proving its effectiveness compared to other functions. Um, and so this is a question, you know that that's asked in the, in the study, it's asked in many uh, communication studies. Um, how is the effectiveness of the communications budget or the public relations spend being measured? And I think the results from the comms index, as you're both probably aware, um, 
are a little bit worrying and we've seen that both years uh, 2021 and 2022 if anything um, the most recent edition sees a higher proportion of respondents opting for media clippings um, favorability slash sentiment scores and, and awareness metrics all three of which are, are, are proxies rather than actual evidence of behavioral change or business outcomes advocacy metrics trail further behind um, and they are ahead of harder evaluation options such as company financials and sales so how worried um, should we be about this Charles sure um, the numbers are the numbers uh, the but the equal reality is that certainly speaking for Rue de Finn you know our fees have been growing year on year uh, at record levels so there is I would see there's somewhat of a disconnect here so whatever we're doing right mm -hmm. there is a market for it having said that I think generally uh, it's still a source of intense disappointment for me that we're still bogged down in this ridiculous sort of clipping book mentality and we still get briefs which is how many clips do you expect and it's it's frankly ludicrous and I think that anyone who is still living in that world really does deserve to have their value challenged mm -hmm. I would say today 10% of what we do um, involves sending out press releases and chasing media coverage mm -hmm. the vast majority of what we do is corporate counsel messaging we do a lot of research um, we're very active in film we're very active in web so we're really in a f we're a far more I would say holistic communications function right at the you know right upstream at the beginning all that being said I think it's actually terrific that the industry is getting a bit of a wake-up call uh, I do think that for a for an organizer for an industry that professes to be creative some of the creativity vacuum does exist in certain parts of our industry um, and I won't name any names uh, the awards that we've received would indicate we're not in that category but it just amazes me that even the language uh, has been unchanged so I think that if we're being challenged to show results my call for anyone on the consultancy side is start every engagement with a mutual KPI that isn't clips something more robust something that is linked to business and it's 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 always argued that it's very difficult it's not easy but I would say our industry would have very different numbers a year from now if every piece of work that we did had a solid business metric and a business outcome as a validator and it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy for us because the more value we demonstrate the more contracts we win do, do these findings surprise you Sylvia Yes and no. I mean, I think historically that's been, you know, as long as I've been in marketing and communications, it's clippings, clippings, mm. clippings. Um, but I, that's I a mean, good name for company. I, I, exactly. Maybe <laughs> clippings times three. Um, but I mean, I, I agree with you, Charles. I mean, how does traditional PR and clippings fit into a broader strategic marketing communications plan? And nowadays, when everything is so um, is digitally led. Um, how does that um, how does that fit into a digital campaign? Are we driving um, clients to our website? What's the engagement there? Are they clicking on the contact us form? Are they engaging with our our um, our sales colleagues? So it's it's very um, I think it's quite 
narrow of a focus to look at just those PR metrics because there's so many other factors now than maybe you know decades ago where that's all we had to go by. But now they they should all sync and work with each other in terms of all the different marketing and comms tactics to deliver a business metric. At the end of the day, a company is trying to sell more products, sell more services, um, win exactly. new clients. Um, so how do what we do from a marketing and comm side deliver on that? Or maybe it's metrics like how are we doing on a recruitment standpoint, engaging our employees, getting more candidates through, you know, to apply for our jobs. And I think um, there's broader ways to think about it and definitely um, room for growth. I agree with that. That's so us. interesting. One of the, I could not agree more, one of the biggest, I would say, aspects or the requests that we're getting is help with recruitment. Mm -hmm. um, and what can we do to attract talent? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that does not always involve a press release no, and no. a media interview. Then I, that is absolutely spot on. Mm -hmm. And that is, that not, is not that difficult, that difficult to measure, measure either, either, you would mm -hmm. think, right? So and uh, the opportunities are there to measure. Mm -hmm. It's just that we have to make a bit of an effort to go and find them. Recruitment is a absolutely classic. Um, and it gets more granular than that. We, we represent a large global financial services corporation. Since our sort of relationship with them, they have increased their global revenues by north of 45%. Now, can we take credit for all of that? Uh, probably not 100%. But we have helped them sharpen up every single touch point right down to how they present their sort of their business offering in client meetings and every step of the way we've repackaged it re-engineered it and as a net result their business has grown so i would say comms and marketing had a direct impact in how they go about their business mm -hmm. now another finding which is somewhat linked to the one we've just discussed is when we asked in-house comms leaders whether PR firms are effective in measuring their value or communications firms, however you describe them. One quarter, 23% are unconvinced, um, which is an improvement actually on the result in 2021. But the sizable majority, 67%, so two thirds, only see them as being somewhat effective in terms of proving value compared to 53% um, the year before and only one in ten are confident of PR firm effectiveness um, so Sylvia let me come to you first and, and get your take on that particular finding and whether you think it, it, it is uh, a cause for concern at all it is a cause for concern because uh, I I see as in-house communicators particularly those of us in Asia where our comms teams are generally quite small and lean. Mm -hmm. um, we have to rely on our external partners um, to just sometimes get our work done. So I think the, the view that um, in-house communicators could do their jobs fully without external support is concerning. Yeah. So just to jump in there, so that's another finding which kind of follows on as well, which is that 53% of respondents say they could do their jobs without external PR support, up from 44% last year, which is, a, yeah, it's a, quite a confident response from the in-house respondents there. So, I mean, in terms of, I mean, why? I mean, I, th I think everyone has probably very varying experiences with their external comm support. And my view of um, working with agencies and consultancies at the end of the day is um, who my day-to-day -day mm. contact is at, at the um, consultancy firm. 
and um, do they understand uh, the business, you know, the work, um, the business I'm in, it's very niche, and do they understand that? Um, do they understand what we're trying to achieve from a business standpoint? And, um, you know, we, we bring on board external consultants to, at the, you know, at the end of the day, help us make our lives easier because we don't have the capabilities in-house or the time and resources in-house to do them. So are they able to do that? And there has been times, you know, um, when you do work with the consultancy and you're like, oh, is it, would it have been easier? Should I just have done it myself? And, you know, maybe there's some of that that has played into that result, but, um, you know, so I don't, you know, maybe you can explain. Be careful what you wish for, Charles. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm just looking at these notes again, saying one in 10 are confident of PR firms effectiveness. Hopefully that's Ruda Finn speaking <laughs> there. Um, look, I couldn't agree more. I think if we are in the very simple business of adding value, and I thought your comment, Sylvia, about would it have been faster to do it myself? When you have that kind of relationship, it isn't a good relationship. And you know, we, we always work to understand our clients' business as, as in-depth as we're able. And our, our, our example being, we, we now try to embed colleagues uh, in client offices mm -hmm. wherever possible. So if the client relationship is significant enough, and we have a couple of colleagues as we speak who are not sitting in the office because they're working side by side with clients, what we then tend to find is the, the, the separation between consultancy and client almost goes away because then the two organizations have commonality of you know, colleagues sitting next door to clients, having lunch, understanding the business, seeing you know, how the clients operate. I think that's where value is added. And I think another sort of consideration is we need to up our game a little bit as, as an industry. And I think, again, that observation, I could do it faster myself. I think that is, again, a bit of a wake-up call. Uh, we all know what the challenges are. These aren't new challenges. They've been there for many, many years. The industry, I believe, needs to be more realistic about how to add value, how to measure value. And if we achieve these things, and I'm not going to use the, well, I will use the term surprise and delight. I think that's something that we could also look at quite carefully, which is we've got our program of work, but what can we do additionally? Now, example, we're not a media relations organization, but one client had a particular problem they wanted solving. And that problem, we largely solved by getting a really brilliant article um, in a publication. And as a net result of that article, a, a business problem was avoided. In terms of adding value, we got a call very recently from a publicly traded company that was experiencing a short sell attack, not the one in the news at the moment. And we very quickly went over there. Uh, we sat in their boardroom. We listened to the problem. We turned around a strategy, communication strategy, within two hours. And within 24 hours, their share price had largely recovered to what it was before the attack began. And they followed our advice word for word. Again, was it only communications that got us there? It was a, a, a measure, a mixture of things, but what we helped them do was focus their message, take a complex case and make it simple, and help get them organized. And by doing this, it gave, it gave great, I think, comfort to their stakeholders, and it showed leadership, which is vital in a crisis. And the market responded very positively. So what they lost 
post root of fin, uh, they regained. And I think that's a great opportunity, Charles, um, to get outside support like that is in a situation where the views that we don't necessarily have as in-house communicators is necessarily the pulse on the broader uh, industry and market surrounding us. So to be able to provide that perspective and, and counsel and guidance I think would be is critical, which is why we would, as in-house communicators, partner with an external agency to um, be our pulse on that, those types of scenarios. Well, I think, yeah. and I, I, could not, I think that's a really interesting observation because by definition, if you are within the organization, the colleagues that you're dealing with, especially if they're you know, at this, you're the sea level, um, you rely on them for pay rises, promotions, and you know, every, everyone's different, personalities are different. So maybe there are things that you want to say that you would, not you, you, but someone in-house would feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I think that's a vital role of right. outside counsel, mm -hmm. which is the, at the end of the day, you, if you don't like what we say, fire us. Um, but most of the time, clients don't. They actually ask for more because we can be very candid and we can actually share what we believe is the right thing to do. And it, let's be, again, be very transparent. In many cases, clients ask us, please help, make, help me make this happen, but the driver needs to be external, not internal. So we see that as a vital point. And I think that also maybe speaks to the, the whole notion of, of you know, questioning the brief um, from the consultancy side as well. I think a lot of times, you know, when we've had this debate about uh, agency effectiveness and being able to demonstrate value, I often hear from agencies, yeah, but this is what clients want. They, they're, they're just asking us for clipping, so we're just giving them what they want. And then you do kind of think, well, actually, no, maybe that's what the brief says. And maybe the brief also says you should do this and this, but, it, but surely if you're doing your job properly as outside counsel, you're, you're there to question all of those assumptions. And I, I appreciate that can be difficult. Um, is that something that you find you, you do do, or is, or is it kind of something you have to, to perhaps be a little, a little delicate? I'm, I'm smiling to myself because there are certain clients that you can do that very effectively, others you can't. We always challenge the brief. Uh, wherever possible. Uh, if, if It's very rare that we see something that is perfect. Um, do not wish to be arrogant, but in certain cases um, a client will ask for certain uh, activities, services, which we know are too narrow or too limited. So we will always, always request an uh, opportunity to interrogate the brief with our prospective client in advance. Uh, which most of the time people you know, are quite happy to do, uh, which then allows us to paint a slightly bigger canvas. And as, as mentioned earlier, you know, I hope we're coming through the environment where the answer to every question is a press release. I, I genuinely believe we are, but certain clients it's absolutely not the case and that's just what they want. And it's now a commodity product. Uh, we, we were asked to bid for some work the other day that the, the, the fee was, was laughable. Uh, and we very politely declined. But there is still an, a pervasive attitude out there, in, sm in a small part, um, that we're just a clipping industry. And we all, I think, collectively need, I think largely we have moved on, actually. And I'm very heartened by Sylvia's comments about you know, the bigger picture. But I think it's beholden on all of us to, to challenge. Yeah, and is that, is that something you look for as well in terms of outside counsel? Is there a way to do it, uh, in, in a, perhaps a manner that 
that builds confidence without seeming you know, too too oppositional. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate when if a vendor can um, challenge the brief or that's part of the, you know, I have an idea, I brief vendors all the time. So, um, you know, I want their perspective. How do we make the outcome ultimately better? Um, so that collaboration and that conversation is critical, I think. I think one, th I mean, just to build on that, and that's great, heartening to hear. Uh, I think in many cases, the concept of the brief is somewhat Redundant. Sure, yeah, and, and when I said brief, I, it's, it really kind of stands in for the whole thing. But yeah. Look, where I think clients who are shopping for consultancy or agency services, something we've noticed recently, which is, it's actually very empowering and makes the whole process more fun, is solve an actual business problem. Mm -hmm. So rather than the usual litany of we want this, this, shopping list, actually give us a business problem to solve. Uh, so it makes the whole process more interesting. Um, and as we all know, these very large sort of RFPs, in 99% of the cases, they go in the bin straight after the firm is appointed uh, because we develop work for which there is absolutely no budget or often no interest. But the chemistry is really good and the relationship works in the room, thus we are appointed. That process would be made much more efficient if companies gave, I think, consultancies bidding for their work. Just one problem to solve. How would you approach this? So credentials tick, you can do the work, now solve the problem. And then look at how the six firms approach the problem solving. And that would be, in my opinion, a much better basis to make a buying decision. Yeah, I agree. So I just want to talk about the primary responsibilities of the comms team before we get on to um, the the job satisfaction findings. Um, we have talked about media relations here already, but 99% um, selected that as as so that comes out on top when it when we talk about primary responsibilities ahead of corporate reputation, which also scores very high. As does crisis issues and social media uh, and monitoring. It's the same top five as the previous year. Employee engagement has jumped a lot, which I think we would all expect. Um, but areas like digital strategy, public affairs, brand activism um, are much lower. Do, do these, um, for you, Sylvia, does that, does that perhaps reflect the right mix, or, or would, you, would you question that? I, I personally would question it, just from personal um, experience. And I, what I find interesting, I think they're all quite interrelated now, kind of going mm. back to my prior point about um, just integrated yeah, yeah. communications. And uh, definitely I'm not surprised by the employee engagement, for sure, um, kind of internal comms employee engagement has been a huge part of my job remit over the past few years, um, as well as crisis issues. And um, you know, we take a real holistic integrated approach to how we do marketing and communications um, at my company. So social media is a key channel for us and so um, and that's how we push out our brand messaging our um, our sales and services messaging um, so for me they are quite interrelated and we try to engage our employees on on social media help them to be ambassadors for us to get them to engage with our social media content um, get them to do their own organic social media posts so um, we do try to take a real holistic and integrated um, approach. So it is, it's hard, these rankings in terms of what's more important mm -hmm. than others, because it depends also kind of 
time of year for the business yeah. during COVID crisis issues high um, depending on what industry you're in um, one mm. might be more important than the other but yeah yeah it depends a lot I suppose also the type of business and and the type of function within that business as well but Charles your thoughts I think we need a different question next year actually mm -hmm. I mean I think the asking people to I mean these are closed questions right so I mean I, I'm thinking maybe what the, the way to ask a question slightly differently is leave it open mm -hmm. uh, and I I do agree with Sylvia I think that the if you if you were to put you know level up a little bit um, really it's reputation and risk I think that's really the, the primary job that we have to manage you know how to help a company strengthen its reputation and how to help a company mitigate mm. its risk and as we've seen when there is a proper problem I mean a really major crisis all the communities communications function sort of focuses on that uh, in peacetime then you have the opportunity to do mm -hmm. more thought leadership but at its at its sort of peak I would say or at, at its surface now I think reputation and risk increasingly define the role of communications mm -hmm. we do there is actually an open-ended element to this question I'm not going to be able to find out what people I do recall people putting in other other answers and I'll, I'll try and get those to you but um, I mean, d is there a concern at all that media relations is, st is, st is still number one, or, or, or is, this, is that just a fact of life that, that, that we... I mean, you said earlier that you're n you don't do media relations. Well, we, we do, but it's not all we do. Oh, oh. It's part of what we do. And look, w absolutely, we would never say that we don't do that. Yeah, but yeah. we now... If we're going to grow our business... In the areas where we want to grow, which is high-value services, example, we're just in the process of rolling out um, our 23 executive skills, uh, which is you know th really, really terrific three-hour workshops in media, presentation, negotiation, and crisis. Uh, very high value, uh, and clients are queuing up. There's not any media relations inside. Mm -hmm. Having said all of that, as we all know. A major story in a major global business media can affect a company's fortunes for the better or for the worse and so we will always be in that business but what we are doing around that is building many other businesses for which there is a very clear client demand mm -hmm. and um, just quickly Sylvia do you, do you see media relations as kind of your, your primary duty in your role it actually isn't. Uh, I mean, it's critical, and definitely during times of when certain issues bubble up within the business, it becomes extremely critical. But kind of when I come in day to day, I'm not sitting there thinking, mm. "Oh, did you know? Are we in X Y Z magazine, or mm. are we? You know, it's important, but we're really focused on um, kind of employee engagement. How do we drive our overall brand message? And I like what you said. It really is reputation and risk how do we enhance our reputation protect our reputation mm -hmm. um, through all the other um, yeah, because these are beyond media relations right exactly and it, you know this is a it's a tool it's a it's a, a channel if you like it's not actually a a outcome um, that's spot on yeah. Yeah. it's a channel mm -hmm. yeah an important channel an important but still channel, a channel Okay, so let's talk finally um, about job satisfaction on the in-house side. So more than a third of respondents are either neutral or unhappy in terms of job satisfaction. Um, and more than 80% think they are remunerated 
um, either somewhat fairly to less than fair. Um, so only 20% think that they are uh, remunerated more than fairly. Um, and more than half uh, are more than moderately likely to search for a job in the next 90 days. Now, I've noticed a lot of movement on the in-house side, but it's hard to say whether it's kind of more than in previous eras. Y you do think perhaps the pandemic has had an, an, Im an impact. It's been it's thrown people's uh, travel plans and, and ideas of where they're going to live. Th those have all been reshaped. We've seen that firsthand in Hong Kong. But um, Sylvia, let me come to you first. Do, do these findings surprise you at all? Not necessarily. Uh, I'm trying to think back to how did I answer that question. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I, you know, to be honest, I think in-house communicators were now kind of coming up for air over the past few years, and maybe part of that, the findings, is a result of people just being tired, tired of of having a couple years of um, going through a global pandemic with comes at the forefront of managing the messaging of that while trying to keep BAU communications and work going with going back to really small teams and um, now kind of coming out of all that thinking, okay, okay, where do, what next? And so mm. in a way I do feel for myself, for, for in-house communicators, maybe we're all in a, okay, what is, the next, what does the future hold now? Like, will will the function continue to stay elevated, and the the importance within an organization still remain? And will I continue to be involved in real strategic and interesting projects, and have the voice and ear and the ears of the the right people within the organization? So, um, you know, I think there's I think I. I What's happened over the few years has been really interesting and sets up the function really well for real ongoing success. But I think maybe as in-house communicators, they're also kind of a wait and see what's to come. Also a bit of trying to catch some breath and, and um, re-energize after a really um, hectic past few years. Sure. We, we won't ask you how you answered the question on whether you're likely to search for a job in the, the next 90 days. Um, Charles, do you see increased movement? perhaps increase discontent on the in-house side? Candidly, we don't. Um, now, obviously, we don't ask these sort of questions necessarily, but we, we have terrific relationships with our clients. The turnover has been negligible in that for the last two years. You know, the people that we work with are still the people we work with. I think there's been an awful lot of introspection. Um, I think people have been sitting at home looking out of the window, thinking about life far more than possibly there was ever the time to do before. Um, and if, again, anecdotally, if you look at some of the, the sort of LinkedIn sob stories that are out there about mental health and everything else, uh, which of course must be taken seriously, but I think there is a lot of people are, are thinking slightly differently about the future and their purpose, and that's a big theme at the moment. Uh, I was speaking with a very well-known recruitment uh, person recently who said the competition for talent, however, is at an all-time high. Companies mm. are desperate for good quality people, either to replace people that have moved um, or because the function is growing and they need more resource. Mm. But to the, it, I would say in one sentence, we haven't noticed a huge sort of change of uh, the chessboard 
but I couldn't say with my hand on my heart what all the chessboard is thinking. I, I do think people are approaching their careers slightly differently. Yeah, and I, I think both of those uh, responses is, is, yeah, there's a lot of uh, resonance there, I think, in, in terms of the observations you both made. One, one point I should make, uh, which, I didn't, which I didn't kind of flag earlier, we ask uh, respondents, if you could reset your career and start with any career choice, would you still pursue communications? In 2021, actually, I don't know if you, rem you remember, Charles, we had quite a significant percentage um, of people who said no, they wouldn't. I think it was more than a third. Um, and that's actually dropped uh, to around a quarter. So, so you know, that's promising, that's encouraging. I think we can take that as a win. Uh, almost 75% say they would still pursue communications. They could start with any career choice. And I think maybe that's uh, a good note on which to end. If you guys had any, any, any final thoughts, perhaps? Uh, no, I would just say, I, personally, I would stick with my choice, too. So <laughs> uh, ditto. I think there are very few other careers that give you this roller coaster of uh, tasks, responsibilities, opportunities to do interesting work. And, you know, it's been said before, but there is very, very few days are like the day before oh, or the day after. Oh, no two days are and the same. If you like being kept on your toes, I would say communications is a pretty good place to be. Yes, indeed. And you come across a lot of interesting people as well, has been my observation too. So, Charles, Sylvia, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, and take care, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.